Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, I think those guys have a pretty good understanding uh, of Hulk, but dads? It's kind of interesting that they, they connect the Hulk to their daddy. I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure what that's saying. But uh, anyway, it's, uh, on this 4th of July weekend, we're, we're beginning our new summer series at the movies. And, and you pick the movies we're going to be looking at this Sunday and the next four Sundays. There are posters out in the lobby uh, that you can also look at. We're going to be looking through these movies to find Christian truths in these films that, that apply to our lives today. And the point isn't necessarily to affirm the films or say that everything in them is, is somehow great, but that in the midst of them to see that we can find Christian messages. In fact, learning to see Christ in movies, learning to see Christ in our daily lives, and, and learning to experience him all throughout the week, not just simply for an hour on Sunday, is a great gift because it enables us to keep Jesus front and center in our lives all the time. It enables us to, to learn from his spirit in almost any setting so that our faith is not just something practiced on Sundays, but something you and I live every day, all through our day. And that's how God intends us to live our lives. So, with that in mind, we're jumping to the 2012 movie, The, the Avengers. Uh, it was the highest grossing film that year, uh, took in over a $1.5 billion worldwide, and was in fact the first comic book hero movie to gross over a million dollars. In their description of the movie, it says this, Earth's mightiest heroes must come together and learn to fight as a team if they're to stop the mischievous Loki and his alien army from enslaving humanity. I'm not sure I would have used the word mischievous. Just saying, that doesn't seem quite like right. But anyway, these characters created by Marvel Comics over the years Each of them in their own right are major characters, and so bringing them together, even against a super powerful enemy, is a real challenge. Director Josh Whedon put it this way. He says, it makes no sense. It's ridiculous. There's a thunder god. There's a green id giant rage monster. There's Captain America from the 40s. There's Tony Stark, who definitely doesn't get along with anybody. Ultimately, these people don't belong together, and the whole movie is about finding yourself from community and finding that you not only belong together, but you need each other very much. It will be the heart of the film. Now, that's certainly not necessarily an original plot line, but it is an important one played out in a lot of settings. It played out in our country. As we celebrate this weekend the birth of our nation, We often forget that it was 13 very different states arrayed along the whole whole Atlantic seaboard, led by very different patriots across that area, who then united under a single declaration of independence to establish the land of the free and the home of the brave. Throughout the years, we have We've continued to be a a melting pot of nationalities and ethnicities 
Today, folks around the, the globe call this country their home from all over the place. And here in Houston, we, we reside in perhaps the most diverse city in the nation, and our church increasingly reflects that wondrous diversity of God's creation. When we look back to the first century, those first disciples were, in fact, incredibly diverse. Whether or not you think about it or not, you know, they ranged from poor fishermen to a wealthy tax collector, from, from people like him who are making their living off of the, the government of Rome to one who was called a zealot, and a zealot was one who was actively fighting the nation of Rome, trying to push them out. Matthew 10, it says, here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James' brother. Philip, Bartholomew. Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. I mean, those, Matthew and Simon probably could not have been further apart. And Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. And yet, whether the disciples or they were newer followers, as we see later in the New Testament, through Jesus Christ, every one of these folks were better together than simply being on their own. And that, in fact, is a big theme in the movie Avengers. Early in the movie, as, as the chaos grows, Director Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, is grilled by the World Security Council about his plans to bring this initiative together, these, these Avengers, to face the growing threat. And they tell Director Fury that it's never going to work. They're, they're too different. And at first, they may appear to be right, because as each scene continues on, it seems like there's more and more dysfunction between these heroic characters. At one point, when Captain America, Steve Rogers, says, Stark, we need a plan of attack. If you remember, Iron Man Tony Stark replies, I have a plan, attack. Yeah. Not much of a plan. It unfortunately, uh, at least for the movie's sake, takes an alien invasion to get them to come together and unite their strengths. But, but they do. They band together. They come together, each offering their own unique skills and abilities from superhuman to highly skilled, just normal human beings working together, making them better together than they otherwise would have been. Even the Hulk and his, his drive to smash fits in. And here's the thing. That's right out of our history as followers of Jesus Christ. Those first Christians were better together also. In fact, a very interesting picture starts to emerge from the Gospels. If you start to notice, we see Jesus, and almost from the very beginning, he's calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples. And now, Jesus did not need the disciples in order to feed the 5,000. He didn't need the disciples in order to heal people. He didn't need the disciples to teach. And yet, through the whole story, you see him almost always with his disciples. In fact, the Gospels are a story of Jesus, but they are a story of Jesus with his disciples. When we move to the early church, we find them in, in the beginning of the, the book of Acts, they've gathered together in an upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out on those first followers of Jesus. And 
as that day begins and the Spirit comes and more and more people are, are moved to faith in Christ, it, the Bible tells us they came together. They, they, they worked together. They lived together. They did life together. In Acts chapter 2, it says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, not just on Sundays or Saturdays then, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Acts paints for us this powerful picture of the people of God coming together. And in their coming together, in their living their lives together, alongside each other, it, there was a winsomeness to that. There was a, a vitality to that that drew others in more and more to them. I mean, you read that passage from, from Acts, how many times in there does it talk about them coming together, doing things together? And the result is people saw that they were, they were coming together and that they were better together, better together than, than being separate. And that togetherness drew even more into the fellowship, helped more of them come to faith in Christ. Their community together drew others in. And then as the Apostle Paul sets out to take the good news of Jesus to others across the, the, the known Western world, he traveled with others. You read in Acts, every time he set out, he was with others. You read his letters that he wrote. He's always talking, not only greeting others, but talking about those who are with him, even when he was in prison. In fact, it's interesting as we read Acts the times when Luke, who is the writer of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, if you start noticing in there, there are several sections of the, the text that are in first person because it's when, when Luke is actually recounting his firsthand experience. So you see, the two greatest men of the, of the New Testament, Jesus and Paul, were always together. We're always in community with others. They did that intentionally. They did that all the time. But here's the thing, we can picture this wondrous picture, but no one said that these folks were always perfect together, or that they always got along great, or there were never any problems between them. In fact, the gospel shows Jesus often had to deal with arguments and dissension among his disciples. Luke 9, Jesus' disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest, we move into Acts, and Paul ends up dismissing John Mark from going with him on their second missionary journey because Mark, as we know him better, had backed out of going with him on part of their previous journey. And yet, it tells us in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas' disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. He still had someone with him. And yet, even that division did not tell the end of the story because years later, it was obvious that all those, many of those problems have been resolved. For Paul is setting out and he wants this time Mark to go with him, to come to him, while he's probably in prison in Rome. 
And by this time, we know that Mark may well have written the very first gospel that was written, the gospel of Mark, and, and recounting the, the Peter's memories of his time with Jesus. And yet, Paul now, Paul who said earlier, I don't want him with me, now in his last years of life, in one of his last documents, that he, letters that he wrote to Timothy, says, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I want to tell you, Paul in his letters had to deal with a lot of conflict. We, we want to sometimes paint an idealized version of those first Christians, that they were coming together, they had no problems, no issues. The reason Paul wrote most of his letters is because there were problems in those churches, and he was trying to address them, not trying to kick people out, not trying to ostracize people, but bring them together. It was the nature of the gathering of any group of human beings. Any of us get together for very long, we're going to disagree about something, right? I mean, that's just kind of the nature of the, of, of the beast. And, and to think, though, that, that therefore we can't work together or we can't work alongside or there are certain things that divide us, while those may not always be fun, it is a part of life and especially a part of the church so that it is naive for us to even think it won't be there. I hear some people, sometimes someone say, well, you know, there shouldn't ever be any dissension in the church or there shouldn't be any conflict or they shouldn't be disagreeing. Well, that'd be true if there were none of us there. But the church is people. Remember that old thing, open the church, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, where are the people? Open the church, or there, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, there are the people. The, the church is people. We are people. It's not the building, it's us. Do you get along with everybody? Do you get along with your kids all the time? Do you get along with your parents? With your husband, your wife, your friends, your coworkers? Why would we think it's, it's bad like the church is falling down or falling apart when there's conflict when in fact what we see over and over again in, in, in Jesus' time with his disciples and Paul in the early church that while they were still better together, there was still always stuff going on. The church is not somehow defective just because it's not perfect. Paul knew that Christ's followers are always better together than apart, always better to work together, to come alongside each other, to spend time together, to, to worship together, to, to serve together. In Hebrews, it writes, the writer said, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. The, the Bible is calling us, God is saying to us, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to be together. We're called to come together. We're called to work together. We're called to do that in the midst of the reality of understanding that we're still human beings and we still don't always agree on everything. Jesus himself, though, on the night of his crucifixion, before his crucifixion at the Last Supper, he prayed for the unity of his followers. John 17, Jesus said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also, and this is the really cool part. You, did you know you're in the Bible? You and I are actually in the Bible. Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus is saying, I'm not only just praying for the 12, I'm praying for you, me, us. 
I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. In other words, Jesus says, our coming together in unity as the body of Christ is a sign to the world. Coming together in our differences, different backgrounds, different economics, different races, different jobs, different parts of town, different ideologies, different political parties, all of those things that could easily keep us separate are in fact when we come together Jesus' prayer will draw even more to him. See, our unity is not uniformity. We get that confused sometimes, that, that we have to all be just alike. We have to all exactly believe the same things. We have to all do the same things. We can never have any issues. Jesus, though, was speaking to 12 very different men when he prayed that prayer, and yet their mission and commitment to Christ outweighed their differences. See, Christianity has always seen incredible value in the people of God coming together. I want to tell you, there were no Lone Ranger Christians in the first century. No no. Christians who thought, I I have to do this all myself. I can't trust anybody. I can't walk with anybody else. It's all up to me. Look at the Apostle Paul. He was constantly taking people with him. He was constantly sharing his stories with others so that they would know what he was doing. There were no Lone Rangers in the first century, and there should be none today. We need each other because God knows God created us to be better together. And our unity in community is built, in fact, precisely on our differences. The Avengers in the movie, I mean, they're all different from, from superpower to, to power that comes through a machine to just highly skilled individuals. And yet it was those very differences that the character Loki, the, the, the evil guy in it, tries to manipulate because individually he knows that the Avengers are not going to be a big threat to him. It's only if they come together and are they're battling almost each other. But in the end, their mission was greater than their differences. And it brought these very different individuals together for the greater purpose. Guys, whether you realize it or not, whether we think about it this way or not, our situation is not so different. We have a very real world, real world enemy. His name is Satan. And, and he wants nothing more to get you and me arguing and battling over differences. To, to complain about each other or to say what someone's doing or not doing or I can't be alongside them or whatever the case may be. But God says... It is precisely our differences that in in the end become our strengths when we use them together. The Apostle Paul tells us that God not only uniquely created each and every one of us, every one of us in this room, every person you know, in fact, 
but he also gifted us through the power of his spirit for the sake of the body of Christ and the mission that Christ has set us in motion to do. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Now, here's the thing. If you say, well, uh, there's no way I have anything to give, or there's no way he's, if you're a follower of Christ, that he's he's gifted me in some way, your, 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 your statements or your arguments aren't with me. They're with God. God says you're uniquely created and special. God says, I, I created you for a purpose. God says, I, I did something in you that is unique to every other, compared to every other human being on this planet. And I did it so you could come together with others for the sake of the kingdom, for the building up of other believers, but also for the transformation of the world. When you and I don't use what God has given us, when we sit back and we say somebody else is going to do it, when you say it's not my job or I can't do it or he's crazy if he thinks it, then your argument is not with me, it's not with the church, it's with God. It is saying, God, I don't believe you. I don't believe you are all-powerful. I don't believe you are all-knowing. you got to ask yourself, is that the conversation you want to have with God someday? Well, gee, God, I just thought you were kidding. What part of kidding is go and make disciples? What part of kidding is... I've called you to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It's not, a, it's not ultimately about you and me. It's not what I, I think. It's what God says. And the decision you and I have to make, the act of faith, is do I believe God? What he says about me. Yes, I know I have shortcomings. Yes, I, 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 I fail people. Yes, I fall short of the glory of God. God understands that and still says he wants to bring us together. That we are better together than trying to do it on our own or even to do nothing. God has brought together his own group of heroes. Each of us very different. We're not super powered, but we are spirit powered to work alongside each other for the common good of not just the church, but for the world. For the world. Each of us who have chosen to be followers of Jesus Christ have been gifted by God. And and God gave us that gift not for pride's sake, not for look what I can do, he, brought, he gave us these gifts to be used together with the gifts of others to empower the body of Christ, his church, to be the hands, to be the feet, to be the voice of Christ in our world today. Together. Paul wrote, our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. In other words, if you're here today, 
If you believe in God and you believe he's had any part in your life, you're not here accidentally. And in fact, he brought you here and he brought you to this place to be in this body for greater purposes than simply to exist, breathe oxygen, take up space, consume. You matter to God. And through his church, you are called and gifted to make a difference. He created us to be a team. You may question your role. You may question your importance. But, but God created you and, and gifted you. And you are questioning him if you're questioning it. He is, honestly, for some of you, he's trying to simply get you to grasp he created you to play an important role in his kingdom. You, singular. And he created us to be a team. A team, sure, at first glance, it may not seem like we have much to offer. It may seem like we're dysfunctional. We go in different directions. That like the Avengers, we, we have our own ideas. And yet, God created us to be better together. And even some of us who feel like we're insignificant, God speaks directly to you. Listen to what he says later in 1 Corinthians. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Not just helpful, necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the most honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you, each of you, God says, is a part of it. There is no vision of Christianity in which we are not gifted and talented and valued and needed together. Going it alone or, or, or failing to join in is exactly what the devil wants. When you choose not to participate, when you choose not to be a part, then you're not only disappointing what God intends for you, you're, you're playing into the devil's hands. It is precisely what he wants you to do. It's precisely what he wants you to do, to put down your abilities or to say it doesn't matter or I don't want to. You're, on, you're playing for his team in those moments. And that is not God's plan because he does know we're better together. It is in Jesus Christ that we are united in spite of all of our differences. It is he who brings us together for the greater good of the world around us and and, and yeah, we don't have superpowers, and many of us feel very ordinary, and yet we have something even better, the supernatural power of love, the love of God. And it's this kind of love that the world routinely knows nothing about, that offers forgiveness, that offers grace, that accepts someone for who they are and works sacrificially for their good. 
The world is so self-absorbed that it has a hard time coping with a self-giving, unconditional love. But that's what that's our secret weapon. That's what we're called to live and to share. Paul writes again to the Corinthians, love is patient and kind. Isn't that different from what the world is? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. All kinds of things will end. But when you and I love as Christ loved us, we are investing something that never ends. Love is our secret weapon that, if you will, it's, it's what unites us. It's what empowers us. It's what makes us better together because it is only love in many cases that can bind us together because of all the differences that, that we often are drawn to or told about in our world around us. But it is that love that God uses to transform our world, to turn enemies into friends, friends into co-workers who spread the good news of Jesus Christ. It is why small gatherings, small groups of followers is so important, whether it's groups that the church puts together or it's a group or groups that you choose to create on your own. It's why serving together matters. It's because we are doing it together as the body of Christ. We don't simply say a handful of you ought to serve. Every follower of Christ is called to serve, certainly beyond the bounds of the church, but also within the church. Because there is also community together as we do that. We walk alongside each other. Our, our giftedness complement one another so that together we are better. We may seem different. We may seem too different. But Jesus prayed for our unity and mission and purpose to unite us together for the sake of the world. I, I tell you, if you're complaining about the world the answer is not an elected official. The answer is not a new law. The answer is not more money. The answer is the love of God. That is the only answer that can transform hatred into love, that can turn plowshares or turn swords into plowshares. Yeah, I mean, in, in a sense, we're, we're not so different from the Avengers, though the Though, though our goal isn't to avenge the wrong done by others. But we are all very different people gifted by God who are better together, who offer the world around us the best hope for reconciliation with God and the transformation of the world. You can believe that the enemy will try to draw, drive wedges between us. But in the end, if we are submitted to Christ, to quote Tony Stark in a little bit different setting, there's no version of this where the enemy comes out on top. No version. The truth is the church is really Earth's mightiest heroes and the hope of the world. There was a guy who stopped going to church for a while and some of his friends were concerned and he said, oh, it, 
He, he, he just he didn't need it. Finally, one of his friends came and visited him one day at home. It was during the winter. There was a roaring fire in the fireplace. They, they shared a little small talk for a little while. And then they, as they were just kind of sitting there, they'd been sitting there for a couple of minutes, the, the guy who came to visit him took the tongs and he reached into the fire and he took out one of the red hot embers and he placed it on the hearth. Didn't say a word, just set it there and then sat back down. And for a moment that that ember was, was blazing just like the rest of the fire, but a couple of minutes later you could see that the flame was just about gone. After another minute or two, it wasn't as white and parts of it were turning dark. Finally, when it was almost out, the same guy who took the tongs again, reached up and picked up that nearly burned out ember, put it in the fire. And almost immediately, it was engulfed in flame again, burning bright, hot, doing good. And at that point, the, the gentleman got up to start, start to leave. And his friend said, I guess I'll see you in church on Sunday. Don't miss out meeting together. It's not all about you. It's about so much more. But if we drive it into a consumer mentality that it's all about me and what I get, then we don't understand how God has created us to be together, to be better together, to use the giftedness he has bestowed on us. Because here's the thing, in serving, in working together, in being the body of Christ, you need this. The church needs you. But most of all, the world needs us. We really are better together. In just a moment, our ushers, our prayer team will be down here if you want to pray or off to the side a little bit. And we're going to also be sharing communion. If you'd like to stay, we want to invite you to come down into these center floor sections, and, and we'll be doing that beginning in just a very few minutes. If you need to go get your children first, go do that. But here's the thing. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and he was giving us a picture of the unity that we can have in Jesus Christ. That every one of us who comes to receive communion, just as everyone has always down through the centuries, they've been different. But what unites us, the, 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 the cross of Christ and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins for the sake of the world, what unites us is so much more so that this table is not simply a place to come and reflect. It's a, also a mark of our unity in Christ together. We are better together. And I hope you will join us in that would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for making us, each one of us, unique. And, and Father, for, sometimes we feel like there's nothing we have to give or nothing to add or no one will miss me if, if I'm not with others. Father, can you help us to see the lies of, of the devil and to see how wrong that thinking really is? You call us together. You, 
in your word, you said some have stopped meeting, but don't do that. That we are better together. And I pray, Father, that we would sense that and claim that. And if, if it's not clear to us, we would seek to find community with others. We would look for small groups. We would look for ways to serve because we choose to trust you, to believe you, that you created each of us uniquely. You gifted those of us who are followers of Jesus for the sake of the kingdom of God. And there is not one of us that has nothing to give. Every one of us matters. Father, help us to shut out the cries of the devil. To block out the consuming mentality that says it's always about me. And see the truth. That sometimes we have to sacrifice things that are important to us or matter for the greater good. But when we come together as the body of Christ, when Christ unites us through his death on the cross and the power of his spirit lives within us, we are better together. We can make a difference. We can, you can use us to transform this world and ultimately, ultimately, that is our only hope. Help us come together, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, before we dismiss, just a quick preview of our next movie. Watch. Grandfather's here. Can't you tell me I'm sick? I'll pinch my cheek. I hate that. Maybe he won't. Hey, I was just sick. Huh? I brought you a special present. What is it? It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. It's a story of love, a tale of adventure. It's as real as the feelings you feel. I'm kissing again. Someday you may not mind so much. The Princess Bride. Not just your basic, average, everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, ho-hum fairy tale. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.